I'm Dr. Ryan Stanton, and it's time for some ASEP Frontline. Joined today by Dr. Sierra Barclay Buchanan out of Wisconsin. And we're talking about one of our biggest ongoing topics, you know, really in medicine in general, but especially emergency medicine, and that being boarding. And I know we many had issues with boarding prior to COVID-19, but now COVID-19, especially with the Delta spike, has really exacerbated a lot of those uh, issues. And many of us, in fact, last week I came into work with 20 beds open in the ER at that point, and we had 20 boarders in those beds. So basically seeing patients out of the lobby for most of the day, um, saw 36 patients out of the lobby, and eventually they did get beds as bed became available in the ED. But, you know, struggles, the struggle is real, and we are dealing with those types of things. And so we, we saw you know, the opportunity to uh, get some expertise and folks that have worked on this uh, to give some ideas and things that you can do out there. Uh, so Dr. Barclay Buchanan, give us a little background, not only on yourself, uh, but uh, give us a scope of the issue. Uh, thanks, Ryan. Yeah, so um, Sierra Barclay Buchanan. Uh, my background is in um, departmental administration and operations, um, but formerly actually was a residency uh, associate program director as well. Um, I'm currently our vice chair of clinical operations for our emergency departments and have worked really closely with our nursing leadership and our physician uh, leadership team to develop some processes and protocols that hopefully will be helpful for folks to apply in their own departments. Because as you mentioned, the struggle is real. Boarding is a problem that uh, is happening across the country and something that I think we're gonna be dealing with, um, unfortunately for the months to come. And, you know, it's, it's one of the, if you've listened to the podcast uh, in the past, we've done some uh, podcasting on some throughput, front end management, those types of things. Um, the reason I mentioned that is the guest is actually uh, a physician at the University of Kentucky where I did residency. And I can still remember uh, when I was a resident there back from 05 to 08, um, we would empty the emergency department at night and had no borders. I still remember the first time during my third year of residency that we actually experienced boarding um, and really didn't know what this new creation was. We were using hallway beds and those types of things, but we, we didn't have any issue with boarding at that point. And um, that has evolved since 2008, I guess 2007, when we first started seeing it, you know, to the point that last year, or at least right before COVID, we were talking that they were averaging about 360,000 hours of boarding per month. So 55 patients, 24-7, 365. And so it doesn't take long for your department to really start to feel those strains and challenges of boarding and where to place patients. And, you know, of course, the stress on the staff and, and folks down there in the ER. Um, and so, you know, going from those transition, my emergency department now, community emergency department, um, has some challenges with boarding during certain parts of the year, especially those that are higher risk to older patient populations, so our infection seasons. Um, but we continue to work through them. And I think uh, most of us out there have really felt a pinch more widespread during COVID-19 with limited bed availability, the ability to transfer out, especially for small, smaller rural or critical access hospitals, and then lar larger hospitals that are just filled to the brim. So uh, give us, kind of run us through uh, your approach, some of the big take-home points that you guys put together to manage uh, manage boarding. Uh, of course. And so we've had some systems in place long before um, COVID-19 and really seeing an uptick in boarding that were helpful for us to combat um, 
reporting to carry into sort of the, the current state, which was really helpful, but we did have to um, adopt some uh, additional practices around our increased boarding that we're seeing as well. Um, I think the biggest thing that I would like to really highlight is we really need folks to look at this as not just an emergency department problem. And I think if you're working in an environment where um, it's viewed that way, it can be really challenging. So the first piece of advice that I would, would give to people is to really make sure that you're getting buy-in at the system level or at the hospital level to recognize that boarding really isn't an ED problem. It's a, it's a hospital problem or a health system problem. And that's really worked quite well for us by, by getting buy-in from others within um, our health system. Um, ways that I that we do this are that we actually have a process where we have a dual admin on call model. And in that model, our whole goal is to create shared awareness amongst our AOC team. And what I mean by dual is we have both a nursing admin on call and a physician admin on call every single day. And really the first, the first process in creating that shared awareness if we're having increased boarding or throughput issues is our frontline staff, um, both our charge nurses or CTLs uh, is what we call them, and our physicians that are working um, in the department can reach out to their admin on call to just raise the awareness that, hey, it's gonna look like a, a difficult day in the department with boarding. And in that, we've created WhatsApp groups where we communicate um, with our entire AOC team and um, create that shared awareness. We have various levers that we can pull that I'm, I want to talk through, but uh, we start to try to troubleshoot our, within our own um, group. And then at that point, we can raise further and go to what we call a system capacity huddle. And in that, we are inviting all, all comers to really that meeting. It ends up being our um, CNO, our CMO. It ends up being uh, folks from our access center who are really coordinating uh, transfers within the region and across the health system. Our nursing coordinators who help with bed assignments, uh, the charge nurses from various inpatient units, and even some of our other um, health system partners from other emergency departments to really get a good sense of what's happening uh, locally uh, within our community. And really out of that huddle, we end up coming up with some unique opportunities and ways to approach the problem because you know, boarding is a, is a multifactorial issue and, and not all, um, each day, how we approach it and how we manage it can be slightly different based on what's actually triggering us to be boarding, if, if that makes sense. I completely agree that um, that this is not an, an emergency department issue, uh, per se, primarily. I mean, and I, I think many of us feel that this is really more of um, where I say the ER is kind of the bare barometer of our communities. It's also the barometer of this our our hospital and, and hospital system where you, um, where there's in, inefficiencies or throughput challenges with the hospital and the emergency department is used as the purge valve. And so often um, it, it's, it comes across as a, oh, the e, ED can manage it. They'll figure it out, you know, and, and kind of working around it. And um, this expectation that the emergency department is okay with decreasing its capacity for throughput by 40% or 50% or whatever, because a bed is completely occupied uh, throughout the entire shift. Um, and what we find on occasion is that there is that disconnect between 
um, the House supervisors and administrators who may not be aware of the challenges that are being faced in the emergency department. And of course, now uh, the challenges, the, the differentiation between is the hospital actually full versus are all the beds staffed? Um, because if, if I've got 500 beds and 400 are staffed, I could be boarding when there's 100 empty, empty beds sitting upstairs. You know, so how do we, as physicians out there right now, how do we break down that barrier of communications and, and bridge that gap of understanding that the emergency department is just kind of there to be, I mean, other than seeing the people as they come in, to be that purge valve to, to make up for the insufficiencies and inefficiencies of the rest of the house? Yeah, I th- that's a great question. And I think it's really important that we uh, find ways to create shared awareness. I think it's really um, easy for us to assume that there's awareness of what's happening in the ED. And I don't think that that's necessarily always the case. And so I would really encourage folks to come up with a way that mirrors our system capacity huddle and figure out who are the key players that can help have an impact for you in getting patients moved within the system. And I think you do you do need some system level leadership, whether it's your CNO or your CMO or your COO involved with this, um, but also those, whether you have a house supervisor or a bed coordinator or whoever is really involved with the, the placement, you also need folks who are involved with staffing, because as you said, I think we're, you know, a whole separate issue, but something that we're, we're all facing right now is critical uh, nursing staffing and staffed beds for the first time for us. That has become one of the reasons that we're boarding, and that was not an, an issue for us previously to our the current situation with COVID-19. Um, And so I think you need to figure out who those players are and develop a way to have um, a system that allows you to put out an alert that we're in the situation that we're in and allow those folks who specialize in staffing and bed placement in flexing their own individual teams to both know that you need help, but then allow them to work through the system so that they can help you solve the boarding problem. We found that to work quite well um, by engaging our inpatient uh, partners. Once that we're, we're able to share sort of the current state of the ED, we have found all sorts of amazing ways that patients end up ultimately getting placed or creative ideas of how they can staff beds or or, um, have some throughput through the system. But it all starts with getting that message out um, and making sure that people know what's going on within the walls of the ED. And that key, that open communication um, and that underlying importance is physician leadership. Um, What I've found in our department is that our charge nurses can communicate, others can communicate concerns, but really is that physician leadership of that department, uh, having those discussions with administration and others to say, this is the situation that we're, we're facing and patient care is potentially being uh, sacrificed or, or not necessarily sacrificed, but compromised um, because we can't do our job that people are seeking uh, the care for. You know, people coming to our front door, coming through the ambulance bay, requesting and needing care. And do we have that capacity and ability to perform the jobs for which we are there? And it's even, you know, it's even worse in situations that where you may be off of an RVU-based model where uh, it significantly impacts your ability to care for your family uh, and, and as well. Um, with that being said, I think it's, as we live in a world of medicine that um, has some physician leadership throughout the hospital, I think it's more, it's incredibly important that we continue to push that physician leadership uh, participation, as well as those open lines of communication uh, with administration. 
and, um, and, and encouraging them to be aware of what's going on within the emergency department and doing the things that they can do. I mean, one of the biggest rate limiting steps now for us is environmental services. Uh, the ability to clean the rooms after they've been vacated. And can they do that efficiently so we can get somebody else in those rooms, whether it's a COVID room, whether it's not, you know, whether it's the number of beds that are being turned over. Um, one of the things that we had heard on a number of occasions with boarding is moving from this traditional model of bolus dispositions, uh, bolus discharges. So that noon to 5 p.m. window or 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. window where there's a ton of discharges. And so there's a ton of impact on environmental services. But then from about 5 p.m. until that you know 10 a.m. or noon the next day, there's not a whole lot of patient movement, even though some of those patients may not necessarily need to be in the hospital. I still remember uh, the hospital down the street uh, started dispositioning its chest pain patients. You know, If they finished up their chest pain observation at 2 a.m., they were discharged at 2 a.m. so that bed could be turned over. What are some of the options uh, in terms of making that turnover process more efficient in order to make those beds available for our ED patients? Yeah, and I think that that was actually one of the other things I was hoping to talk about was you really need to find partners within the system. By we found that by increasing our the awareness of what was going on, we actually found partners across the system that really were able to help solve some of these issues that you mentioned. Um, some of the tools that we've used, we, we have uh, part of our morning decompression of the ED is we have a partnership with our uh, pre-op area and anyone who's boarded for a surgical case uh, that day is actually moved over to pre-op first thing in the morning um, before um, long before the 7 a.m. Uh, team arrives and they are uh, boarded in the pre-op area, which does, it's, we don't have a, a, it's not a huge portion of the patient population, but that uh, few patients a day does have an impact on the ED. Out of that model, um, we actually created um, a, a process of one of our units. Um, it's our pre-post area. Um, we have a process where we can use up to eight beds in the pre-post for um, a boarding unit. And one of the key things that we worked on with this is it's not staffed by ED nurses or um, CNAs or techs. It's staffed by the inpatient float pool. And so every morning um, we utilize that as a pop-off valve um, and we can actually admit to that unit as a temporary boarding space 24-7 um, staffed by other nurses within the health system. And that's had a huge impact for us. We've also partnered with folks from EVS to to um, think about all the things that you mentioned about how, how can we turn over rooms more quickly? How can we do terminal cleans more quickly? Um, how can we expedite discharges? Through that shared awareness across the system, um, messaging can go out to various individuals and key stakeholders across the organization. So each one of those pieces of the puzzle can address their own area. And as you sort of get that awareness going, those individual pieces start to um, fall in line. And before you know it, you start to get some forward momentum. Some of the things that we have seen um, as solutions, as you mentioned, some of these extra spaces um, that are used um, for managing and monitoring boarding patients um, you know, I've seen creation of observation units. They were meant to be like chest pain observation units for the ED, then become overflow for ICU. Then you open up a second observation unit uh, because the first one is now basically just ICU overflow. Second one goes through the same thing. How do we prevent hospital systems who are looking at bottom lines 
of taking these solutions that are theoretically purge valve solutions for the emergency department from from becoming opportunities to expand bed capacity in order for the acceptance of more patients from outside hospitals, transfers, um, but not necessarily solving the problem from which it was the initial intention, but actually just becoming an, an opportunity for the hospital to bring in more people basically recreating the the problem for which we had the solution to begin with. Yeah, I mean, that that's challenging. You have to have trust in your hospital level leadership that, that that's not the intention. Um, we do have an observation unit. We have, we had a very, um, we, we kept a hard line in saying we weren't boarding in our observation unit, that that was not the intention of that unit. And we really uh, were fortunate to not get into that space. Our current ED volumes are um, have rapidly returned to pre-pandemic state and then some. Um, so we've, we've actually temporarily repurposed our observation unit into a third pod to be managing acute care patients. That's irrespective of boarding. Uh, we hope to get that, uh, that boarding I'm sorry, that observation unit up and running again in the future, because it also, uh, you know, as you mentioned, chest pain dispositions, we were really efficient at getting those out even at one, two, three, four in the morning and really moving those observation level um, admissions through the system and rapidly turning those spaces over. But that was one of our real um, hard lines for us was that that observation unit was not going to become a boarding unit. Um, that wasn't the intention of it. And so we really looked for alternative pop-off spaces that were not, um, ED real estate, but also weren't staffed by the emergency department, uh, because really that just spread like spreads our current staff even further um, and even potentially away from the ED. And I think that's a very important point and, and something that many of us can relate to in terms of the, re, the repurposing of spaces that um, one example is, is fast track units, you know, places that we're going to use to fast track low acuity patients level four and five through very quickly and efficiently that then becomes the next expanded unit for level threes, uh, longer prolonged workups. And we're still in that same situation uh, we were in before uh, for the reason of having, you know, that, that unit in general talking with Dr. Sierra Barclay Buchanan about some of the efforts uh, and work they've been doing in Wisconsin towards um, ED boarding uh, challenges. Give us some of those other uh, messages, those those things that those nuggets that you guys have have created projects and things that other physicians out there, many of which, most of which actually are going to be uh, community based physicians, uh, a challenge and work through this uh, moving forward, not just with the pandemic, but uh, whatever is our next steps in emergency medicine. One thing that's been really um, successful for us is we created what we call our four hour boarding model. Um, and we have a process by which anyone who is admitted that boards in the ED for four hours or longer is really treated as a patient that's in the inpatient environment. And so how, how we function with this is once the patient is, hits the four hour mark, um, there are, we call them EDCs or emergency department clerks and the primary ED nurse are now going to start communicating with the inpatient teams. And so at that four hour mark, the inpatient orders are released. The EDCs then page out a page to the admitting team with the patient information, uh, your patient in room X um, has now become a four hour boarder. We have released the inpatient orders. Your uh, 
point of contact for primary nurse is this individual and here is her um, phone number or way to communicate with her. Please, please connect if there's any additional orders or issues that you would like to discuss. And really that has helped us to keep that forward momentum with the inpatient stay um, by getting things rolling. And really for other than acute decompensation, the ED is not managing those patients um, other than on the nursing staff side. And that has really allowed us to continue to get that forward momentum of their ED workup, or sorry, their inpatient um, workup done and disposition done without losing that valuable time while they're in the emergency department. It also allows our uh, physicians, APPs, to be able to um, focus on the new arrivals and the acute presentations that are coming into the ED. So I think finding partners within the health system and buy-in from your hospitalist teams, your surgical colleagues, um, from others to be able to develop a system like this would um, potentially have a lot of benefits. Interesting mention of the taking care, because I'm absolutely a proponent that emergency, the emergency physicians and staff, you know, then the, the, the nurse that is caring for that patient shouldn't be caring for inpatients. Um, and the, the precedent for that is the fact that many of, in most hospitals, we are not credentialed for inpatient care. Um, so other than an emergent or, or, or a rapid response situation, our malpractice isn't actually covering us since we are not credentialed to provide inpatient care. Um, we are outpatient physicians uh, and other providers. And so, you know, that's one thing to be aware of. And that's one thing we bumped into at one of our other hospitals is when they would call us to go upstairs to assist with IV access or whatever it may be was clarifying that it was a rapid response uh, or an acute situation that required an emergency physician to go up there for us to be covered medical legally. And, um, and so I, it, and it also boils down to too many cooks in the kitchen. If you've got somebody in there that's admitted, who's actually managing the patient? And if we have two sets of physician groups managing the patient, the potential for complications um, and uh, in, incongruity, if that's actually a word, are, are, is higher. And so we really need to make sure there's a relatively smooth, warm handoff transition to who's going to be managing that patient uh, in the emergency department. Any uh, closing thoughts or, or points uh, for the physicians out there as we all start to ponder that next shift where we walk in with all those folks that seem to be living in the ER with us? No, I, would just, I would just like to echo, I think it's really important that we all remember and at every opportunity remind um, those in leadership positions within our organizations that it starts in the ED, um, but really the problem is upstream from the ED. It's, it's a hospital um, and system level issue. And it's really important that you find the, who those key players are within your system that you can partner with and create that shared awareness. Because I think once, once you're able to arm them with the data and show what's happening in the department, um, I think you may find some folks who are really willing to try to help or come up with some creative solutions. And so I hope that with these ideas of thinking about alternative spaces, thinking about alternative staffing for borders and really creating a model that allows you to um, really be there in a rapid response role or um, for that critical decompensation, but have your borders be managed by the inpatient teams. Um, it goes a long way. So um, I think this is something that we're gonna have to get comfortable with and it's unfortunate, but it's uh, the reality for many of us these days. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Sierra Barclay Buchanan, and uh, it is much more difficult to expand the brick and mortar um, than it is responding 
you know, to that influx of new patients that, that seek care um, at our department. So um, how can folks get in touch with you? If they have questions, want information, uh, need some clarification or whatnot, how, what's the best way for people to contact you? Um, I would welcome any emails. Um, I'm happy to share any of the ideas that we've had. Um, please feel free to reach out to me by my email. Um, it's cbb at medicine.wisc.edu. I'm sure you can probably <laughs> find that pretty easily. And for me, you can contact me at rstanton at asap.org, rstanton at asap.org, at Everyday Med on Twitter. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast and getting uh, each week of our offerings. And um, of course, we've got the uh, summer, wrapping up summer uh, 2021 releases, and we will very soon be getting into the ASAP 21 from Boston uh, releases and information. So make sure that you're subscribed so we can continue to pass on that information. Uh, those experts that are out there that are really trying to move the needle with regard to improving the environment of emergency medicine, um, the environment for the emergency physicians, and most importantly, the care that we can provide for our patients. And until next time, I'm Dr. Ryan Stanton, and this has been some ASAP Frontline.